0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Dead Ideas, the podcast of extinct thoughts and practices. What you're about to hear is our first ever episode, which was recorded before we really knew what we were doing, but many people say this first series remains one of their all-time favorites. Ah, to be young and naive again. (laughs) There are sound quality issues that we resolved very quickly starting with our second series, but which remain in this one. So if you can look past that and just Treat this like, I guess, like Mark Hamill's audition for the part of Luke Skywalker or
1: something
0: like that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Today's net idea is Reanimated Corpses of Ancient India, Part One. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm BT Newberg, but you can call me Brandon. With me today
1: are my co-hosts for the day, Nick. Now, I am super excited to find out I'm down to so few incarnations, but I'm going be jumping ahead of <laughs> things a little bit. <laughs> You're
0: getting close to the end, getting close to liberation there, Nick. And also, Anna.
2: Who apparently has been dead on the inside all these years. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> all right.
0: I think I picked the right co-host for today. <laughs> Well, thanks for being with me, guys, on our first episode. Well, thanks Yay. for having us. Yes, thank you. First episode of Dead Ideas.
2: Always lovely to be talking about corpses on Friday with you.
0: Indeed, yes. So,
1: are we, after a fashion, kind of entering into a dead idea and reanimating it? <laughs> I guess you could say that.
0: <laughs> yes, we're kind of bringing it back to life for for each other and for our listeners. So, yeah, we're going to have some fun. We're going to learn something and um, it's going to be kind of... Uh, it interesting if nothing else and probably a lot else uh, <laughs> so since it's our first episode first we should say a little bit about the concept of this podcast so we're exploring ideas that are no longer held they're dead they're dead ideas okay um and often um these ideas are therefore going to be a bit outlandish seeming from our perspective they're going to be eccentric they're going to be bizarre quaint obtuse Sometimes even, yes, funny from our perspective, but it's also, it's really an exercise in perspective taking uh, because, you know, after we enjoy our, our initial kind of like encounter with the eccentricity of these ideas, um, and we will have fun here, uh, we're also going to go, you know, deep into the culture and the times and try to get kind of under the skin of the people who uh, held these ideas and maybe just maybe kind of see how maybe they could have made sense to them. So that's kind of the the concept of the podcast, and also this is going to be just a casual conversation. You know, we're inviting you listeners to just kind of hang out with us. We're here in we're here in my living room in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I've got a beer. Uh, I'm drinking a Summit Porter. Um, the- it's not a plug. <laughs> so, hello, Summit, if you're listening.
1: <laughs> it, it's good. It's one of your two best beers. Yeah. Just so you know. Remember, yeah. when
2: you think of dead bodies from now on, think Summit Porter.
1: Yeah. When in Minneapolis, if you need a nice middle brow <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: goes down. Kinda easy. ale,
1: <laughs> Porter's not bad. Yeah. So yeah, we're just hanging
0: out. Um, you know, our cat my cat, Mr. Fish, is kinda of beside us. You he might hear him meow here or there. So you know, if you're looking for a formal, kind of um, highly scripted podcast, uh, history podcast, there's plenty else out there. Um, this is going to be a casual conversation. So, all right, so um, hang out with us as we talk about some dead ideas. And today's dead idea is reanimated corpses. The idea that you can enter into somebody else's dead body and walk around in it. Um, Who thought that was a good idea? Well, some people did. And for about 2,000 years, it was part of a religion from ancient India called Ajivika. And that's what we're going to be talking about today on Dead Ideas. So, Nick and Anna, what do you think? You want to hang out in a dead body for a while? Sound pretty good to you?
2: Well, I mean... I mean it is technically dying right now. <laughs>
0: your body. Yeah, I mean you
2: know, <laughs> your genes don't care. You're not gonna reproduce. They're that... gonna stop trying to keep you alive. <laughs>
0: That's grim. That's grim. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry.
2: <laughs>
1: How
0: about you, Nick? Sounds like a like sound like a good idea?
1: Um The thing that I've wondered about with this
0: mm-hmm.
1: So you Enter a reanimated dead body, or you reanimate a dead body. Yes. When you're in it, does it continue decaying? Do yeah. your processes keep it Bastard. alive and vital yeah. for the time so, of being?
0: So, so for the Ajivika, as far as we can tell from the very few sources that we have, uh, it, the idea was your your body dies, and then your your sort of self or essence—they would have called it Atman. Uh, sort of flits about and somehow enters into somebody else's body that's already dead, and it kind of pops back to life. But it's it's not like a Walking Dead zombie, um, and it's not like a, a Dungeons and Dragons kind of Lich King kind of idea. It's just, you're not like it's not like rotting flesh kind of hanging off of you. I think you kind of come back to the picture of health, but it is a corpse. It is a dead body that you're still
1: walking around in it's until a that one expires, and then you could do it
0: again. Oh. And again, and again, after
1: that. Oh. So I'm assuming part of the character, I mean, again, correct me if I'm jumping ahead of things too mm-hmm. far here, but it's an end state in your dharmic path, as it were. So yes, that yes. You've gone through a bunch of animal incarnations or hungry ghost incarnations or what have you. You're done with the whole human thing. Is it like a self-conscious asceticism that you're relinquishing an attachment to the flesh by inhabiting a dead thing? Is it that you're no longer subject to like passions and animal drives, because the yeah. thing you have is dead, and therefore you don't, like, get hungry or need to have well, sex. Well, things. yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, uh, we're going to get into that, and we're going to get into the whole, like,
0: culture of it, and, the, and what, what Indian religion was like at the time, and Indian philosophy was like at the time. Um, but long story short, it, it, it was something that happened um, shortly before you attained uh, liberation, um, sort of nirvana. Uh, and, um, so you're nearing spiritual perfection. Um, but it, it, there's some interesting qualifications on that. It wasn't quite the same as Buddhist nirvana. It wasn't quite the same. As a, so we're going to get into that. Um, but the short answer is yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So you're walking around in dead bodies, right? You, you look like normal people, but it's a dead body. So I want to ask you guys a question. Like if you could do this for real, if you could really do this, Whose dead body would you want to have?
2: How much sensory? How? How? how are, I'm saying we can at least sort of feel things with
0: this dead flesh, right? Yeah, I think it's basically just like being in your real body right now, except for it's not
1: your original body. Yeah. Wow. Or more to the point, it's someone else's original body. Exactly. Which is where things get peculiar. That's yes. a
2: stumper. <laughs>
1: And again, are we assuming the mindset is something hardcore Yasin likes to hang out in charnel grounds and oh,
2: yeah. commit
1: ritual impurities? So you Ashes. would, from this point of view, well, it was want of a an, kind of horrible body? or It was part of an ascetic lifestyle. We don't know exactly what practices and I guess, precisely that they did. To jump ahead of things, I'm probably envisioning something tantric and much, much later in Yeah, but but those
0: things are old. Those things have a long, long uh, pedigree. Um, So, you know, it's not that far off from the mark.
2: Okay, so hypothetically, in this instance of being able to take over somebody's body, given what we said about the sensory apparatus and the sort of stasis the body's in, will I still be able to urinate
0: I think yes. Okay, I, I then, think all bodily functions continue. That's my that's my sense that I get from the scant information in the text. All
2: right. Well, I'm hijacking a body that has the apparatus necessary for urinating, standing up, because I want to at least know. Okay.
0: So, all right. So first, you're going to track down a person who who has this ability. Wait
1: for them to die, and yes. then you're going to enter their corpse when they're dead. Yeah. Okay, I mean, dysphoria will sure. be
2: alarming, but I mean, totally doable. Technically, snow. have
1: to. The population of the human race that could work for. So, no, anyway. yeah, you I mean you could go into a dude's body and then you could pee standing I out. believe that was what she was getting. Or a lady with a penis. I mean, I'm
2: not, I'm not Yeah, <laughs> not either way. Probably be easier. Although, I don't know, I'd still have my latent identity, but I guess the body doesn't really have any use anymore for an identity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, should we go off the deep end and discuss trans issues <laughs> regarding reanimated <laughs> corpses? <laughs> okay, Nick, so... Who would, what kind of body would you want to be reanimated into? My horrible morbid confession is the first thing that entered my mind thinking about all this was the dead fetus of a tiny baby bird okay. that had fallen out of the oh, nest God. on the sidewalk. Oh, you side oh, he pushed into the grass. Yeah. Oh, you guys are dark.
0: Oh, man, I was going to say, like, Einstein's body. Well, <laughs> you guys, like, totally went there. What?
2: Well, I don't think it's in great <laughs> right shape anymore. No, I think the ants found it. Yeah, I mean, you
1: No, I meant Einstein. Oh, okay, the ants have probably found Einstein's body oh, as sorry, well. Oh, sorry,
2: I thought you meant the bird. Yeah. Actually, the <laughs> lake moved the lawn, too, so... Um, okay, all right.
1: Sorry. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, so, all right.
0: So, let's 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 carry on. Let's carry on. So, sorry. what if I told you now that not only... Uh, this is... this is now. Pretend I'm an Ajivika like guy with a pamphlet that's that's kind of giving you the uh, the the lowdown. Um, And so, what if I told you that you not only could do this, but you will do this? In fact, that it's fated for you and for all living beings without exception. And after you do it seven times, you'll achieve spiritual perfection and attain liberation.
2: What's the catch? What's he selling? (laughs)
0: uh the catch is you have to basically be an ascetic and um kind of practice all kinds of austerities from uh fasting to uh giving up all possessions all worldly possessions and uh possibly going around naked carrying nothing but a bamboo staff okay cool (laughs) i'm in
1: Still sounds more appealing than the Jehovah's Witness pamphlets, frankly. <laughs> Probably better illustrated. Yeah. A, lot, a, lot, a
2: lot less people staring off into the middle distance with Photoshop filters.
1: <laughs> not meaning to hate on any Jehovah's Witnesses in our audience or not. their belief systems, but the pamphlets aren't great. No, they're not <laughs> great, guys. You, could, you really yeah. step it up. Not at all. And that that brings up a good caveat that we should
0: touch on. You know, we're talking about dead ideas, so, you know, so, well, one would assume that, our, that there are none or at least very few ajibika left of the world. Maybe somebody like walking around San Francisco. Uh, in a bar- our own body. Not too many people to <laughs> offend. But the nature of this is we, these people lived in a time and place and, and cult- these cultures are carried on in living traditions. So anybody out there who's part of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, no offense is intended... We're just um, we're having fun, we're learning about history and you know sharing that with everybody. So um, just work with us here on on that one. No offense intended to anybody.:
2: So on the subject of saying that that stuff was faded. Is it faded if you take his pamphlet, or is it just <laughs> this is already on route? It's just that in your next life, when you become a little wisp of something and go into a corpse, then you're pretty much whether you like it or not, carrying out austerities and what as the as a result of being you know in your dead body. I think that's not exactly
0: specified. Really, what's specified as far as what I can tell from the texts, and again, we have so few, right? Um, but as far as what I can tell. It's just specified that you go through this um, round of incarnations. There's 8,400,000 of them. Wait, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do you come up
2: with that number?
0: <laughs> it's actually a mystical number. Yeah, supposedly. I was wondering right. what
1: that... Yeah. So When you told me that about that before, it has to be based on some kind of roots of something. Yeah, like... But it,
0: so, uh, so, there's going to be different <laughs> scholarly opinion on this, so listeners, if you know anything about this, I don't mean to take sides, but, you know... Um, some scholars speculate that it goes back to numbers numerology that can be found as late as early as like Sumeria and stuff. I mean, Ooh. the links are tenuous, but you know, maybe. Yeah. So ba- basically, when you say eight million four hundred thousand incarnations, it's saying a very large number, right? It's saying a, like a biljillion incarnations, and it's like everything you go through from like everything from being like an elephant to a dewdrop. Right, And then the last seven Of those incarnations are human And the last human incarnation Involves seven changes of body Or reanimations Where you die Go into somebody else's dead body And hang out like that for a while longer Until that one dies And then keep doing that seven times And then after that Then you're done So your first
2: six are normal human birth cycle Dead And then your seventh one Then you're sort of possessing
0: uh, yeah. Your Wisp.
1: Yeah. So 8,400,000? Wow. Uh, yes. And the number. Sorry, now I just need different. to know if that's so divisible by 7. Oh, uh, uh, yeah,
2: because 7. Uh, uh, 7 is the... Yeah,
1: maybe.
0: Yeah, the numbers are also different. I've seen 84,000 also. Which so the decimal place is different.
1: Yeah, so much more reasonable. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And 84,000, as it turns out, is 120,000 divided by 7. Oh, Ooh, good thought. Numerology. Nice. I have to say, Mm -hmm. coming from a Western tradition where again, Book of Revelations, Jehovah's Witness pamphlets, what have you, Mm -hmm. the big numbers tend to tap out around one hundred and (laughs) forty-four thousand. It's a lot easier for me to wrap my mind around that math than when you get into the millions. I need to, yeah. yeah, Well, 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 that's Indian philosophy for you. I know. Yeah. Uh, Everything's been around for a really long time.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. So, so here's how this episode is going to go, folks. Um, so, first of all, this is part of a two-episode series. Uh, the current episode that we're doing, we're going to talk about the dead idea and the culture that it came from, right? The second episode, we're going to do some storytelling, because there's some good stories that, that come out in the text that we have from here. Um, so, uh, we're going to do that in the next episode. This episode, we're going to talk about the idea and, and the culture. And we're going to do this in two parts. The first part, which we have just concluded, is sort of just like... Looking at this idea kind of from the outside, no real context, just from our perspective here in the 21st century, now we're going to transition to kind of trying to get into the feeling of what it would have been like to have been back in ancient India in the 5th century BCE, uh, and try to see if we can kind of gain some perspective on this a little bit. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of this episode. All right. Uh, So... Imagine yourself, in about the 5th century BCE, in ancient North India, okay? So we're in the Ganges River Plain, kind of that area. We've got the Himalayan mountains to the north, uh, and the greater part of the Indian subcontinent is to the south of us. Um, Far to the east, in that place way off there where there be dragons, um, is something called China. And you probably wouldn't have heard of him, but there was a a wise guy named Confucius that was kicking around not too much before this time. Um, On the other side, uh, to the west, you've got Persia, and beyond that, really, really far away places like Egypt and Greece. And again, you probably wouldn't have heard of this, uh, but... Um, there are some philosophers starting up over there. Ionian philosophers were getting going, talking about the primary substance of which the world is composed. So, all over the world, at least, you know, this half of the world, uh, like, there's some movement, some thinking, intellectual movement to think. Ideas are changing. And that's true for this part of India, too. So, our people, that, that we're going to pretend that we belong to for this episode, Uh, Our society is changing, too. So here in North India, we live in a collection of city-states. There's been growing urbanization in this Ganges River area Mm -hmm. um, in the last several centuries. There's more trade. There's more hustle and bustle going on. um, And it's been changing how people kind of live and think and do business and whatnot. Okay, Okay. now uh, here, um, so our society here is kind of divided into four classes. and uh, Anna and Nick, I'm going to give you kind of a choice of which class you kind of want to take on the persona of here, just so we can have sort of a position in society to kind of look out from. Warrior it. caste. So... Sorry. I jumped <laughs> ahead. I jumped <laughs> warrior head. cast. Warrior caste. Sorry. Right. Please explain. So there's, so there's four classes of society, and there's some scholarly debate about whether there really was castes per se, yet at this time in India, uh, whether it was really as strict as it is today yet, maybe not, but there were these four classes, or varnas, or colors literally translated. Hmm. Um, there was the Brahman uh, class, which they were the priestly class. There was the Kshatriya, or the uh, noble or warrior class. That's the one you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, there was the Vaishya class, which is the farmers, the merchants, the artisans, and whatnot. No one ever talks about them, to the extent that I I can't even remember their names. So I think I'm going for Vaishya. Okay, you can be Vaishya. Yeah,
2: rep the underdog.
0: The last one is the Shudra. They were laborers, and they were definitely the lowest of all the classes. Um, So that's the four. Brahman, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra. So Anna, you're going with Kshatriya? Yes. Alright, alright. And uh, Nick, you're going with Vaishya. Okay, cool. So we've got like a a warrior slash ruler kind of person. And and a farmer, merchant, artisan type person.
1: Side tangent. Were okay. there actual colours associated with these varnas? Hey, yeah. I,
0: that's an interesting question. I don't know. Somebody I'm, if you know, tell us. <laughs> yeah, write yeah. us yeah. yeah, write us in. Yeah. You write know us in. I
1: I wild guess I'm guessing Brahmins would be white, Kshatriyas would probably be red, and Shudras would be black. But again, the Vaishyas. Well, yeah, who knows? but then maybe yeah. there's some
2: sort of Ayurvedic principle behind
1: Well, I'm mostly thinking in terms of like Satva's Rajas Thomas guna divides which i think are which are which are basically four words that our
0: listeners probably never heard of (laughs) but but uh we'll 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 roll with it we'll roll with it um yeah no if you know what the colors are let us know and if you know what those words mean you get extra bonus points (laughs) all right uh so by the way um just because you know this isn't a sausage fest here Um, we have uh both men and women here I, i I tried to find a little bit out about what the position of women would have been um, back then in ancient India. I didn't I, I didn't have enough time to get a whole lot on it. Um, it was probably pretty circumscribed. It was the ancient world after all. Um, but not terrible by old world standards. Um, there were some women rulers at the time. And there were at least some women philosophers. Um, there's a philosopher, a lady philosopher named Gargi that... Um, has some lines in Gargi. the yeah Gargi uh, has some lines in one of the Upanishads, one of the early ones, and she debates one of the other philosophers, oh. I think. So um, yeah, so you know, not as terrible as many other cultures to come later, including in Europe and every you know other places too. Um, so a little bit there. Okay, so we're in ancient uh, North India. Our world is, is a multicultural place. Um, there's no, like, unified sense of being Indian. You're more, like, probably aligned more with your clans and your city-states and things. I do represent? There might be some memory. I'm not sure how much, but there, there's probably some memory of uh, our culture being a merger of two different cultures to some extent. One being um, an Aryan culture uh, that kind of invaded... Um, in the hazy times past, um, and by Aryan listeners, I'm not talking about, like, Nazi Aryans. That was co-opted by um, the Nazi culture. The Aryans were um, a people, we don't know quite where they came from, maybe from kind of the steppe areas north of India, um, and they went, like, in all different directions, one being into North India, and they brought with them the Vedas, the Vedic scriptures, um, which modern Hinduism um, considers itself to be rooted in, Um, the other kind of stream of culture is the indigenous culture, which scholars call Dravidian. That's probably not what they call themselves, but they're the indigenous ones. And they've also got a long, long tradition. We don't have very much information on it. It Probably included some kind of things resembling meditation and yoga. It's kind of hard to tell, but it's, we don't really know. It's a lot of speculation. so, more like yoga and meditation might be a spinoff of that. Oh, so branch branch <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Good one. So, um, a little bit about the religion and the p- philosophy of the time. So, uh, the kind of at this point, it would be kind of the old school religion. Just kind of like on the out was uh, Brahmanism. And the idea of Brahmanism was, it was a very elaborate ritual tradition. Um, And uh, uh, the rituals were led by the Brahmin priests, it involved these very expensive sacrifices, and they had multiple functions, um, but one of the functions was when you did this ritual, or rather sponsored one of these rituals, um, you gained something called karma, which is not yet quite what we think of it today. It wasn't yet tied to morality and doing like you yeah, do good, then you get good karma, and vice versa. You get instant karma. karma, instant karma. Yeah. Well, this was maybe kind of instant, but <laughs> it was more like it was more like you were earning points for the afterlife, and it also, at least in Vedic times, it wasn't yet a reincarnation afterlife. It was more like a, a heaven realm, and you could kind of improve your prospects in terms of where you would end up in the heaven realm based on these kind of karmic points you would uh, ritually accumulate. So you do something so, amazing
2: like a horse sacrifice, and it's yeah, like,
0: wow. Yeah. Yes. And, and then you get to be, you know, like, really awesome in the afterlife. Just
1: sounding kind of a lot more like the original Buddhist concept of merit as well. That well, it's, with good it deeds comes, it's
0: influenced by that, yeah. Um, but that's what's coming. Um, so this, this, that's kind of on the out. That's kind of like the old square kind of philosophy of religion the new thought revolution that's been happening for the last couple of centuries, India is kind of having a 60s moment where there's this kind of like revolution in ideas, right? Um, And uh, yeah, you said instant karma, right? So there we go. (laughs) So the new idea here, now reincarnation is is like really big. Um, It seems like almost all, all the different sects of philosophy at this time are like assume reincarnation is the case uh oh and there's there's our cat who's getting off his perch and deciding that he's done with this <laughs> i've been uh, a cat anyway. as long as i've been anything My <laughs>
2: yeah, to... what incarnation is he in yeah <laughs> um
0: so anyway the new thought complex here is reincarnation And now they got this idea that instead of kind of like spending all this money on on rituals to improve your kind of, this almost kind of materialistic idea of like getting the, the white picket fence in the afterlife, instead it's more like what's this really about and how, you know, how does this relate to what, you know, what we're doing here? how yeah, we live our lives, and start starts to get bound up with morality. And this is where you start to get the idea that we think of now as related to karma, where you do good acts and you get good karma, and you do bad acts and you get bad karma. And then that influences your future incarnations. Um, and eventually, you can get off the, the wheel of incarnations entirely and attain liberation, whatever that means. And it probably meant something different for each different school of philosophy back like then. Um, but, but really you're, um, yeah. So, so that, that's the kind of like dichotomy here. There's like, it's, there's, there's, um, new things in the air at this time. So, I mean, you definitely heard this from people around you, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, Anna, since you're in the Kshatriya, the ruler class, actually, um, the ruler class, the Kshatriya is often portrayed in the, the Upanishads and other ancient, Indian texts as being kind of almost the promulgators or teachers of this as opposed to you would think it would be the Brahmin priests, which I, I don't know, I'm speculating here, but I, I suspect that maybe it suggests that um, the rulers were kind of jockeying for power and adopting a Kind of spreading a different idea that they
1: could control I've heard that a before. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: That that's wild speculation, but it seems to make sense to me.
2: I know it does come up a lot. I think in the Ramayana and also it, doesn't it also come up in the um, the Mahabharata? But the, well, they're they're always mentioning those big sacrifices that are being offered up by the warrior mm-hmm. elites, yeah. at least, or sponsored yeah. by or to. Gain merit or something so yeah. Although I
1: think to Bra- part of Brandon's point Is having a more sort of Egalitarian and ethically based And not as hierarchically And ritual a religion Was sort of a jockeying by the Kshatriyas Oh for power so that they're not always paying that... out for horses Yes yeah, yeah. the they're... Brahmins don't have something Over their heads as it were
2: Yeah good yeah. point it's like, so I You gotta, you gotta imagine here day.
0: That like you can't do these rituals Without the Brahmin priests Because they've become so elaborate and and you know the Brahmin priests, um, you know they're not doing this for free. <laughs> they're, they're, the, it's I imagine it was kind of a patron relationship, but they were getting fat off this. To 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 put it in a crass in crass terms, yeah. So they're, they're getting
1: a lot of influence and power and wealth from this. Um, also, I think part of the speculation is just asceticism as an idea is yeah. kind of an aristocratic idea,
0: well, how so? as opposed
1: to an intellectual one.
0: How how is it an aristocratic idea?
1: Um, I'm sort of riffing off some of the speculation of sort of the transition between esoteric Buddhism in medieval Japan to during the um, court in Kyoto and the more imperial period Mm. to the rise of Zen Mm. with the shogunate and the samurai class. It just, it's something that's more stark and ethical and... Involving training and discipline okay. Okay. is something I that appeals to a yep. warrior as opposed sure. to an intellectual. Yeah. Rather rather than um,
0: getting, memorizing all the perfect doctrines, it's more about living like a, like a very uh, disciplined life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I can That's see cool. that. I never yeah. thought of that. I didn't make that connection. Um, yeah, okay. All right. So um, speaking of ascetics, uh, the kind of holy people that you see around you, in, in, that we see around us in this time period, um, one is, is these Brahmin priests. Okay. Um, the other is ascetics called Shramanas. Um, and they're kind of like forest hermits um, that kind of walk around uh, and um, they wander uh, begging and they're taking vows of poverty. Um, and uh, so they're a very different kind of model of like what a holy person is supposed to be like. So you've got multiple models here and that's going to become kind of important. Um, for the people who are part of the 60s moment, you know, adopting these uh, new ideas and what not. Um, they come from both of those. You've got Brahmin priests um, that you see in the Upanishads that, that are, um, that are, you know, spreading these sorts of ideas and developing them, and eventually that's what kind of evolves into the standard philosophy of the various kinds of uh, Hinduism that we see today. Um, but you also have uh, these Sramanas, or forest hermits, and um and they kind of um, join in on this too, develop those ideas as well and it develops into what we know today as buddhism as well as jainism um and uh so um speaking of those particular religions um among the new thinkers some of the figures the movers and shakers that are around at the time um, that you've probably heard of are is one of them is this guy named Siddhartha Gautama who comes from the Shakya clan and he's uh kind of attracted a following and that's what um eventually becomes buddhism and he's kind of a mix of the vedic and the shramanic traditions he's got some cred as an ascetic he's kind of done that thing he's done that training but now uh, what he's teaching to his followers is much less extreme he calls it the middle path so they they're not you know dying of starvation uh uh but there's other traditions as well there's lots of different schools at this time um, one of the other people, the movers and shakers that you've heard of, um, is um, Mahavira. It probably wasn't his original name, but I think it, there's it maybe there's something that it means um, in in the language. Uh, but great. Mahavira. Great something, I mean, is the Great Something. The Great yeah. Something, I think, yeah. The Great Something. Um, he, he's uh, looked at as the great teacher of Jainism. Hmm. Um, he wasn't exactly the founder. They consider him the 24th. Tirthankara, Tirthankara? I'm probably yeah. butchering that pronunciation. Um twenty fourth like great expounder of Jainism, but he gave basically the the form that we know Jainism today he kind of gave it that that shape.
1: So Incidentally um, so going back to our original numerology, mm-hmm. seeing here that the twenty second Tirthankara, the guy before the guy before the Mahavira, yeah, supposedly lived eighty four thousand years prior. Oh ah,
2: Wow, continuously
0: connection. Wow.
1: 12 times 7, it's a more basic number than I thought, but as you can see I've forgotten my multiplication tables beyond 10 (laughs) Oh, wow I don't think I ever learned them beyond 10 We have to learn through 12, but 11 and 12 never stuck
2: What do you mean? 11's easy
1: 11's ridiculously easy, but 12 is...
0: So the third big mover and shaker, and there's probably more than this, but the third that we're going to mention today Is a guy named Makali Gosala And he's going to be our guy of focus for today Um, he's part of the same or similar general shamanic tradition as Mahavira and, uh, uh, those that would become the Jains, Um, but his ideas were a little different than Mahavira's. Um, his followers are called Ajivika, And that literally means, um, something like those following special rules with regard to livelihood. So fairly, fairly bland kind of (laughs) name, but it's kind of interesting, um, because, uh, it's also sometimes translated as religious mendicants, just kind of a generic term. And some of the scholars that I read suspect that it might have been a slur actually really? against them. Yes. Kind of meaning sort of like professionals, those who sort of aren't really doing it for high-minded reasons, but are just kind of, like, living off the the donations of other people professionally. So, like, professionals um, mendicants. (laughs) So it may have been a slur, but then adopted as their actual, like, name of choice. Mm. Um, uh, So a little interesting tidbit there. Uh, He and his followers, which you've seen around town, uh, go totally naked... And they all they can, the only thing that they carry with them is a bamboo staff that later becomes kind of a symbol of the Ajivika religion. Um, no other possessions, not even a bowl to eat from, not allowed anything else. This is like a total vow of poverty in fact uh and that, not all of them not all of the ascetics at this time were that strict um in fact, the Ajivika seem to have been a little bit more strict in this these regards um and because they were nicknamed the handlickers because they wouldn't use a bowl. They had to receive food in in the bowl made by their cupped hands and then eat out of their hands. So they're called the hand liquors. I'm getting kind of
2: a Diogenes vibe from these guys. It is.
0: That's very interesting connections going on a little bit later over in Greece. That's right. Yeah. Um, They were probably pretty skinny because they, like most ascetics, practiced austerities and fasting and whatnot. Um, probably dark sun-baked skin from being, you know, outside wandering around with no clothes on. And I imagine also probably long hair, maybe in dreads. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm projecting that fashion backward anachronistically or not, but that's how I see it. It's mm, the so 60s, man. Exactly. it the 60s moment of ancient <laughs> India. Exactly.
1: But, I Shiva was usually portrayed with no. that as the prototypical ascetic. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: Oh, what is, whats What's... So, like, is there like what we would recognize as Shaivism or, or Vishnavite religion at this point, or is that sort of the later? Um, I, I mean, what's it all
0: develops later? out of what's okay. here. I right. mean, that was already uh, in the Vedas. You already see those mythic figures or the ones that would become them. Um, but uh, the actual like cults of, of those, like that, uh, sects. That um, you would call Shaivism or Vish, uh, Vi- Vaishnavism? Vaishnavism, relating to Shiva and Vishnu respectively. Um, you know, it, of course, it develops over time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's kind of proto that right now, as far as I understand. Okay. Um, so anyway, this Makali Gosala, um, who is the leader of the Ajivika, he says that um, uh, Gautama, the Buddha, and Mahavira, the teacher of the Jains. They're just totally wrong about this whole, like, karma thing. He's like, they've got it totally backwards, no. Um, He's basically calling BS on this kind of, like, you know, the secret kind of thing where they're thinking, like, if you think good thoughts, you'll have good things happen to you in the future and vice versa for, for bad thoughts and bad behavior. He's saying no. He says that you can't change what's going to happen to you in terms of incarnations at least. Uh, you cannot change that by how you think, what you do. It's fixed for everybody. And a name for it is called Nyati, which is fate or destiny or predestination. Nyati. And all those, um, 8,400,000 incarnations that I was talking about, that's, that's like fixed by Nyati. Like you can't change that. You can't speed up or slow down your progress toward Nirvana either. It's just, um, it's just set. And in fact, um, in a Buddhist text, it gives like the particular view of, uh, of, uh, Gosala. Um, this is from the Samanafala Sutta, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Probably not. Um, uh, Gosala believed nothing depends either on one's own efforts or on the efforts of others. In short, nothing depends on any human effort. For there is no such thing as power or energy or human exertion or human strength. Everything that thinks, everything that has senses, everything that is procreated, everything that lives is destitute of force, power, or energy. Their varying conditions at any time are due to fate, to their environment and to their own nature. So, yeah, pretty, pretty emphatic on that point. I can't tell if that's really depressing or strangely cheerful. Yeah. Also, keep in mind this is coming from a rival sect, Buddhism. And that's one thing about Ajivikism. We actually have no texts at all in their own voices. It's, so it's all just, from rival sects. It's being described by their enemies. It's being described by their enemies, so it, there's a, <laughs> a very high chance that um, it's being skewed and slanted and biased. and yeah.
2: Just like all those recountings of all these weird early Christian heresies that yes, got written exactly. about by the victors. Yes,
0: that's very much going on. Very much. Um,
2: historians? Yes. Oh, wait, no, there are still historians, aren't there? There are. Okay, never mind. Bunch in Detroit. Oh. Really?
1: Others in L.A. Yeah.
2: Oh, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: if you hear about the Assyrian Church of the East, or yeah. not many in Iraq anymore, no. but until the last century.
2: <laughs> okay, Aryans. Wait, no. I mean, the other kind of Aryan. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. <laughs> not the Nazis and not the... Wait, are there still aliens? Little, little
1: John to the ancient Christian Assyrians, I think Assyrians? is the term you're looking for. Oh, gosh. Quite unrelated. All right, sorry. Okay, so back to ancient
0: India. Sorry. Yeah. So they use a metaphor to describe this kind of fixed fate of incarnations. The metaphor was a ball of string. And a ball of string that, you know, um, as it starts to unwrap, it goes and goes and goes until it can go no further. And that's just how it is. You... You can't speed up or slow down your progress, you're just like a ball of string going through incarnations until you get to the end of the string. So that's how it is. And eighty-eight million four hundred thousand incarnations from everything from a dewdrop to an elephant, the last seven human, and the last human one is seven changes of body or reanimations, and then, ta-da, liberation. So, if, if you were, so you're back in this time, right? In Kshatriya, right? Warrior cast and Vaishya, Vaishya uh, merchant, um, farmer, artisan class. Uh, and you hear this kind of idea. I mean, what's, what's, what's going on in your head? I mean, what do you want to know about this from the guy that's giving you this pamphlet back then? You know? <laughs> I mean, what's the part that, that um, you know, makes, makes you ask questions?
2: I guess my question is what's the point? <laughs> what's the what's similar? What's the point? Yes. We're human, we're so by your logic, we're doing something right. Yeah. And we're just gonna be fated to keep mm-hmm. doing something right. Yes. Or not but, even
1: necessarily something right, so much guess, as well, the things well, that have happened are almost done.
2: Yeah, we're on the end stage, we're on the home stretch. Uh-huh. Um, you're naked. I don't know where you got that pamphlet
1: from. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, uh, why is it damp? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um I, I, it's a good point. Yeah, go ahead and then. I guess one thing I might wonder, trying to yeah. get into character a little bit. Yeah. I have an ox and a donkey. Uh huh. They've never done anyone any harm. Uh-huh. They're patient and sweet and liquid eyed and long suffering. Uh-huh. And I've known a bunch of shits in the human world. Uh-huh. Rapists and killers and uh uh-huh. horrible, horrible people. Uh-huh. So part of what I'm wondering is to what extent why it's assumed to be a universal progression only upward to the human Mm -hmm. state. Yeah. That seems like kind of would seem like kind of a burning ethical question to me, that any human can go nowhere but up no matter what they do. Right.
0: So what so what's the point? Right. Right. What's the point? So I mean this is gonna be, you know, total speculation because we just don't get that really from the texts, right? So we gotta read between the lines for this. But the sense that I get is that um, the the there isn't it, what he's saying is that that question that comes up especially for us in the twentieth century and which was coming up for um, you know Buddhists at the time of Jains at the time and others that are trying to link karma to the time some some to <laughs> morality <laughs> is he's saying no like that that's that's just not how the universe works. And to, to make an anachronistic analogy, just so as 20th century people, we can wrap our minds around it. Um, it's the 21st century. 21st now. century people, thank you. <laughs> oh, God. The 21st century people. <laughs> um, uh, if, if, if you subscribe to the, to the view of the universe uh, that science provides, and nature doesn't care uh, whether you live a good life or a bad life. I mean, we have consequences because we live in a social society, and so if you're unkind to other people, they're going to be unkind to you, but the cosmos itself doesn't care, right? And so, to me, that's the way I kind of try to wrap my mind around it, is maybe he was coming more from the perspective that, you know, the cosmos, morality is a human thing, the cosmos is, is not a moral thing, and incarnations is like part of this view, his view of nature, and it's just, it's just not how nature works.
2: Because he doesn't really subscribe to karma as a
0: concept. Exactly. Well, he uses the term con- karma, but it's like that's what sort of like brings you along on this process, but you can't change your karma. It doesn't respond to your
1: moral behavior. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, the actual literal meaning, as I've always understood it, of karma is something more since like cause and effect. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's not saying there isn't cause and effect. It's just you don't have free will within that. Right. It's, it's not...
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, another thing to to raise about this, like you said, you're naked. I don't know where you got this pamphlet from, right? Yeah, so they're ascetics, right? So they're saying nothing you can do can change what's going to happen to you. So a question that scholars have asked is like, so why were they ascetics? Yeah! Like, what, 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 you're living this extremely radical lifestyle, so what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> well, cool. are you
2: just saying it was your fate to be naked and walk around.
0: <laughs> well, kinda, yes. So there's, there's a scholar named Johannes Brockhorst um, who thinks that this doesn't add up, and so he, we must not be getting the whole picture of the doctrine, like, he suppo- supposes maybe... Gosala really believes that you can't change the karma you've accrued to this point, but you can prevent the influx of new karma or something like that. But that's not what we get in the texts. And there's another idea to it. Um, Thomas McEvely um, points to how much the Ajivika are kind of rooted in a very old, old traumatic tradition that involves a lot of like magic and divination and things like that. And... Uh, points out that these ascetic practices at the time were very much associated with gaining magical power sure mm. and so the in his theory, the point of doing the ascetic
1: practices yeah is to gain magic powers which makes exactly. a great great deal of sense in lots of the ancient indian epics mm-hmm. all the demons mm-hmm. are much better ascetics than the heroes <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Hey, Brahma, the and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it 's even yeah. kind of, there 's to some extent, it always kind of feels like there's a moral contrast. If you're virtuous, you rel- you're reliant on grace after a fashion. You have yeah. your boons given to you. If you're one of the villains, you work for them. Mm. Yeah, because, mm. like, basically, you
2: get you get the gods basically saying, by virtue of being good or by my champion here, I'm going to give you these arrows, I'm going to give you this, like, chariot, whereas, like, de- if r- you're Ravanna, Ravanna is... yeah,
1: you practice austerities for yeah. many, many... Tens of thousands or millions of years, and then you get to kidnap God's wife.
2: Yeah. Yeah. As part of a redemptive cycle. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's an Although, point. Although, yeah.
1: that's actually part of a weird regional politics thing, too. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. it's a South Indian thing, believing oh, okay. that Ravana was. The secret on some hero of the story, because oh, that's where, the... yeah. Okay, yeah. But way off topic Sorry. now. Sorry. Well, but...
2: Ramayana is really fun <laughs> and important. Yeah, yeah,
0: everybody read the Ramayana. All right. Um, so probably another question that's probably burning on my mind, is definitely on my mind, is okay. So I get the whole fate thing. I get the whole like okay, aesthetics for magic power thing. But why throw in the reanimations at the end there? Like, what in the world is up with that? I Like, what? Like, it seems like you could totally have had the same philosophy without it. Right? So, he throws in the seven changes of body at the end? uh,
2: hmm. It does seem to go a little off the rails there. I mean, it seems like mostly uh, you can sort of structure a belief system, and then it's like, yeah, and then you just Uh ghost-topping.
1: Well, again... Wildly speculative, Uh but if we're assuming there's this comes from sort of a similar general cultural context to Mm -hmm. Jainism and other sort of more or Shankya, more sharply dualistic Mm -hmm. ancient Indian philosophies. Okay. um, If the idea is that part of this unwinding Uh uh, of your string is a process from lesser to a greater amount of control. Mm-hmm. If the sort of agnostic idea that the okay. more enmeshed you are in matter or the more animal you are, the more you're controlled by circumstances. Okay. Mm-hmm. You reach a human stage. You have something like intellect. I don't know. This isn't meshing with the description of their ideas in a lot of ways, but mm. it's a way I could rationalize this end-stage belief. So how how does that get to then the, the notion of reanimation? Then? The final notion of reanimation is instead of being... A human with an intellect where you can control your body and your passions and your drives—you're mm-hmm. not even bound to your body at all. You're not born okay. into it. I see. You're so, simply spirit that takes body as it will. Right. That much self-determination. Right. right. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting
0: contra—I mean, side by side juxtaposition with the idea of no free will. Um, but right. that's happens, why I'm not sure like quite philosophy meshes. So, yeah. Well, you know and who knows? Who knows? Right. I mean, even the scholars have to basically kind of wildly speculate i mean the little bit that we do get about this is actually comes from a Jain text and it um portrays the Ajivika in a in a fairly mm, not so great light uh, again rival sect right um uh and how it's it's portrayed in almost like a just so story kind of thing and we're going to get into these kind of stories in the next episode this is kind of what it's gonna gonna be like uh, but just just a nut, just a nutshell kind of summary here. So Gosala and the Jivaka guy, right, and Mahavira, who would become the teacher of Jainism, they they were actually buds for a while. They were traveling companions, and so they're wandering together. And Gosala decides to test Mahavira's powers of precognition by asking, "What will happen to that shrub over there? It's a sesame shrub, which you can get sesame seeds from." And Mahavira predicts that it will flourish, and Gosala is then like, "Haha, I'm going to prove that he doesn't have the powers he says he does or whatever. And so he secretly uproots the plant and kind of leaves it there. But what Gosala doesn't, um, doesn't know, which kind of happens off-scene sort of, is that there's a, a shower, a rain shower, and a plant takes root again. So that when they come back uh, later to that same area, they see it flourishing, just as Mahavira said. And um, Gosala's mind is blown, basically. And he's like, whoa, right? How-? And Mahav- Mahavira explains that plants has have this power to reanimate. Um, and and then Gosala kind of takes it and extends it to all living things, including humans, even though Mahavira is just talking about plants. Um, it's also
2: kind of interesting. I mean, it basically ends up flourishing anyway, so there's
0: fate for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, speculating again. I mean, there could be some echoes there of him, you know, like a subtext of, like, maybe this is how he got his idea of predestination because he was able, Mahavir was able to see into the future. But again, it's a just-so story, and, and, and from the voice of, like, the rival sect too. So, um, that, that's kind of as much as we get from the actual texts for why he included reanimation. Um, if you want my... Personal wild speculation. I have a, I have an inkling that it's something really pretty different. I'm seeing echoes of um, sort of ancient, um, very kind of primal shamanic motifs and like kind of the death rebirth kind of initiation thing yeah. that you often see all, of, all across the world in um, you know early society kind of um, traditions. Uh, so uh, oftentimes there's like you know when you become a shaman you are said to die maybe even visit the underworld your body may even be dismembered and then reconstructed and then then you're like a shaman you're kind of it's kind of like being born again almost um, to, to
1: use a wild anachronism
2: well it's an idea with precedent
1: yeah it's an idea with precedent exactly also, um, not that wild an anachronism, depending on how seriously you take the idea of Hellenistic mystery cults on early Christianity. But, sure, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So might be a, it might know, be a, a literal a, lineage as they, well. You so so might be able to trace back, yeah. you know, the dot to dot to dot, something like that. Who knows? Um, so I'm wondering if, at the time, outside of the Just So story, in the actual time, I'm wondering if all these ascetics had a bunch of different beliefs. Um, kind of just like uh, from various strands throughout their their history, some of which may have picked up the new reincarnation ideas. Some of them may have had more of a shamanic kind of death-rebirth kind of motif going on. And I kind of suspect that Gosala, as a philosopher, is kind of updating those beliefs, kind of rationalizing them into a coherent theory to fit kind of the intellectual times and figuring out a way to incorporate both beliefs in one theory. By having both the reincarnation cycle and the death-rebirth mm. at the end. Ah. I have no idea at all if that was the case, but that's just kind of the, the vibe that I'm picking up. Mm, that's it. I mean... So, reanimation? Uh, maybe to, to that extent. If it resonated with you as part of your culture and you kind of grew up hearing that this kind of, like, death and rebirth or reanimation thing... Could potentially happen and it maybe it wouldn't seem all that strange to you I don't know because um, again it's not like zombies with flesh hanging off it was just you know just kind of like a different idea of
1: a different take on reincarnation or maybe an
0: earlier take I don't know.
1: so is there any speculation again I'm guessing there isn't enough documentary evidence for this that then when you're in your last cycle of uh-huh. animating and reanimating corpses, uh-huh. do you stay with the body you reanimated until its natural death and then have to find another? Do you flip from one to another at will? So I think it's the first one. Okay. That's definitely the feeling that I've gotten from reading
0: scholars, but that's a secondary source, right? And I tried really hard to find primary, the actual primary source for the Jain text I was talking about, but I can only find it in the Prakrit, the like, Indian like, language yeah. that's written in, so... Uh, so the scholars seem to kind of have made that assumption, so that's what's making me think it's probably more like you naturally die and then go into somebody else's dead body and kind of like... It's kind of like squatting in an abandoned office sure. at that point. <laughs> you know. It's kind of the plot of Avatar, but in reverse. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Or like, when we were talking about earlier, you were like, oh, they're freegans for dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, oh, they're not using this anymore. I might <laughs> as well just live in this for a while longer. What if I find a bottle of codeine in this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that was the Ajibiko. That was the Ajibiko. So um, the last thing we got to talk about before when we close before we close out this uh, episode is how did this dead I- idea go extinct? Because it is, you know, as far as we know, there aren't like large groups of Ajibiko walking around anywhere. Maybe it didn't go
2: extinct. Maybe it just transmigrated to another philosophy. Oh. <laughs> well, there's actually We're a hint of several that. Yeah. There's actually a hint of
0: possibly. Possibly, it, some parts of it being merged into or carried on by one sect of the Jain religion called the Digambara, because um, there's you know there's some similarities, and they, they I think one of them is uh, the nakedness thing. Another is uh, they do kind of recognize the the name Gosala as one of the teachers that they honor in their long you know their long tradition. So it's
1: possible, but very, very murky kind of connection. Um, so one thing that I've been wondering about yeah. all of this, if the main evidence for them uh-huh. is them being mentioned as a rival philosophy in early Buddhist and Jain texts, <laughs> uh-huh. is that other evidence for their existence? Yeah.
0: So By which I mean, if, if it isn't... weren't for the, the, t- the rival sects texts, Is there ever other evidence that they even existed in the first place?
2: Yeah, an independent verification.
1: Right, right. Because what I'm wondering is, is it so much an extinct idea, or an idea that was the grab bag slot of here's the people that were like us but wrong? (laughs) Essentially, just an ancient Indian word for heresy, not otherwise specified. Of of ancient India. Oh yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think
0: there is. Okay. I think there is. And So basically what I know of is, uh, first of all, the. Um, so we, we get these Jain and Buddhist texts. Uh, there's a handful of them, right? Um, and then uh, around the time of uh, Ashoka, mm-hmm. um, who was a uh, famous emperor of the Maria Empire about 3rd century BCE, So that's like about 200 years after the time that we've been kind of like, um, painting a picture of, um, we find, uh, some caves. In fact, this is the earliest, uh, earliest religious structure, I believe, in India that we know of. We find these caves. One of them is the Barabar Caves and another is the Nagarjumi Caves a little bit later. The, and, um. They are carved into granite, smoothly polished, large rectangular meeting area with smaller circular domed room attached, possibly for meditation, Hmm. Um, and an inscription that basically says "so and so ruler gave this to the Ajivika." Uh, So that's that's so. This documentary
1: evidence of them as being the name of yes
0: of some sect or school that existed, and and then from there we kind of get sign of a smattering of inscriptions throughout Indian history that basically don't tell us much about the Ajivika, just that there were just the mentions that we know that they were still around. And then it kind of cuts off at about the 14, 14th century CE, if I remember right. So
2: given that Ajivika is also kind of, in addition to supposedly being a specific group, but also a term that just means people who practice, you know, in a certain fashion, is there a chance it might be more of a generic term? King so and so gave this to a group of ascetics who might not be.
1: That's an interesting point. I was wondering that too. Yeah, that's a what, very interesting point. Because what it's really sounding like to me, from a Western analogy, is that something like the term Gnostic. Yeah, which, which could have meant a lot of meant yes, a right? lot of different things, yeah. and a lot of people that held what you kind of indiscriminately what we consider to be Gnostic beliefs along with what would go on to be mainstream Orthodox Christian ones or Jewish ones. Yeah. But eventually it became a grab bag term of we all agree on this fun- these fundamental philosophical principles, right. but the ones that we think got these basic things wrong, mm-hmm. we're going to call Gnostics.
0: Huh? Yeah? It could be. In it early was... Christian
1: heresy, that was sort of how the label got put, as opposed to earlier, like Clement of Alexandria and some of the very earliest followers really wanted to keep the word and called what would later be called Gnostics, Gnostics falsely so called. <laughs> yep. Let... Saying, we have the true Gnosis,
0: but... Yeah. Let, 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 let history show that this idea was first developed here on this <laughs> podcast, on Dead Ideas, and when later we are vindicated by unearthed
1: evidence... Uh, we will go down in history, of course. Woo. Of course, we figured it out, right? Yeah, we figured yeah. it out. Or when history proves that we are completely off our rockers, this will go down as a dead idea. Oh dang! Oh, we could be, we could be the dead idea. We got this
2: coming and going.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, this has been a whole lot of fun, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you for being with us. It, it, yeah, this was this was really fun. I think I picked the first uh, the perfect co-host for our first couple of episodes here. Um, so just a little summary. So our dead idea today was, uh, uh, reanimated corpses, um, a fixed round of incarnations, the last one of which involving seven reanimations or changes of body, all this being bound by miati fate, can't change your karma. Who believed it? The Ajivika, uh, a religious sect of, um, ascetics that lasted for about 2000 years, which is a pretty good run. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, um... That's almost as long as, you know, Christianity has been around. So, you know, it's, it's, that, you know, that's, that's a pretty good run, yeah. right? They made a go of it. Well, they tried. <laughs> they tried. Maybe right? they succeeded. Yeah. Um, and how did it go extinct? Um, we, we're, it's not clear. It's not clear. Maybe absorbed into other religions, maybe just outcompeted by other religions. Um, we just don't have enough to, to know. Um, so if you like this, you know, I hope, you know, I hope you um, enjoyed it, and uh, stick around for next time, because the next episode, we're going to do some storytelling. We're going to get the adventures of uh, Gosala and Mahavira, um, and we're going to have some fun. Um, It's a story of two buds who have a falling out, have a magical duel, and (gasps) one of them ends up going a little crazy. Oh, and also one of them's a reanimated corpse, of course. Um, So, you know. Feel good
2: buddy movie for the ages. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Everyone everyone can relate to it. Magical duel. Reanimated course, you know? Yeah. So um, that's it for our first episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this, be sure to tell us. Um, You can email us. You can rate and review on iTunes. Um, And if you know of a dead idea that you want us to explore, let us know. Um, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Be sure to join us for part two of Reanimated Courses. And thank you, Nick and Anna. Thanks, Brandon.